Good morning. My name is Bishop Designate Ulysses Henderson, and it is my pleasure to share with you the word of the Lord. We want to extend our love, of course, to our leaders, Bishop Charles Blake Sr. and uh, our First Lady, Lady May. We just want you to know that we love you and we appreciate you so much. Uh, we also want to acknowledge our assistant pastor, Pastor Charles Blake II, and uh, our young adult pastor, Pastor Lawrence Blake, uh, and the entire First Family. And, and by the way, we just want to just, uh, just recognize the entire West Angeles family. And we just want you to know that, yeah, we are still sort of in a virtual environment, but we're still connected. And to our virtual visitors, please know that you're always welcome to join us. And we're always praying for you. And, you know, I'm so excited that we'll be back together again in the house of the Lord real soon. So please be on the lookout for more details regarding our, re our reopening and re-entry in the month of July. And of course, I want to thank uh, Deacon David Moore and the entire Brotherhood organization for extending to me this opportunity to share with our men, because there's no men like West A men. God has favored us. And to all the men of West Angeles and to all of the men who are watching online, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And on this Father's Day, I want to share a special word just to encourage our fathers. So let us turn to the word of the Lord. But before we turn to the word of the Lord, let us pray. Father God, we just thank you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you, Father God, for these men, these men that you have raised up to have such a vital role into the lives of so many individuals and people. So we ask, oh God, that on this day, that as we celebrate fathers, that you will be with us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and just have us to hear what you would have for us to hear that you get all the glory, honor, and praise in everything that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, will you turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And the word of the Lord reads, And it came to pass that after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him up there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, upon which I will tell thee. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his donkey, and took two of his men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. And rose up and went into a place of which God had told him. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about a father's faith. A father's faith. One of the greatest privileges that God has given men is the gift of being a father. And here in our text, we're introduced to a man who waited a hundred years before he was able to appreciate this privilege. And this passage of scripture has to be one of the most difficult stories in the Bible to read. In fact, some critics of our faith wish that this particular story had never made its way into the passages of scripture. Because what God is asking Abraham to do from our perspectives and sensibilities is nothing less than outrageous. God would want Abraham to take his only son, the one he loves, and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, what father would not struggle with this task of being asked to kill his son? 
being asked to kill his very seed. And I'm sure that when Abraham heard what God was calling him to do, at that moment, Abraham had to experience some severe emotional torture. And I don't think there was another personality in Scripture who's had a greater demand placed on them, like the demand that God is placed on his servant, Abraham. But here's some lessons in this story that God wants fathers to realize as Abraham demonstrates inexplicable faith. See, to be a father of faith, you need to know that, number one, you're pregnant with purpose. Please understand that while Sarah was barren, it was actually Abraham who was pregnant. God released the seed of faith in Abraham that would one day be conceived. God promised Abraham that he would become a father even though his wife did not have the physical ability to bear children. Now, I struggled with this and I asked God, Lord, why would you promise Abraham that he would be a father, but you gave him a wife that was barren? Men, what in your life seems impossible? What are you dealing with that it seems and appears that you have no hope? And when I asked God, Lord, what is the meaning of this? Why would you give Abraham a barren wife yet tell him that he would be a father? And God said, watch this. He says, I want you to know that the destiny of Abraham's house was not dictated by Sarah's womb. But the destiny of Abraham's house was determined by Abraham's decisions. Because in chapter 6, when Abraham lost faith in God, he decided to listen to Sarah and went into Hagar. And while his decision produced a son, it also produced family discord, disdain, and dysfunction. Even when you look at Adam and Eve, sin didn't come into the world when Eve was deceived by the serpent. Sin didn't come into the world until Adam disobeyed God. So fathers, please understand that the fate of your families is not always based on the actions of a mother as much as it is on the decisions of a father. And this is why there's so much discord and dysfunction in so many homes today. Because not only are so many fathers making bad decisions, but many fathers are not even in a home to make a decision. And here in our text, if we go back to chapter 17, Sarah's womb wasn't open until Abraham made a decision to make a covenant with God. So Sarah didn't do anything to open her womb. Her womb was open because Abraham made a decision to have a relationship with God. And men, this is why we have to have a real relationship with God. This is why you, you have to come to church instead of staying at home and watching football on Sundays. This is why you have to read your Bible instead of going out to the clubs. This is why you have to pray over your wife and children and be a priest and a prophet of your homes because a father's decision and relationship with God not only affects his children, but it defines his legacy. This is why Proverbs 13 and 22 tells us that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Because a man's household is blessed or cursed based on his decisions. Please understand that a man isn't a father just because they can make a baby. But a father is a man who accepts responsibility for the baby that he made. And you need to know that despite what your circumstances look like, 
You're pregnant with purpose and position for possibilities. And I don't care what anybody says, and I don't care if your baby mama don't think you're worth two cents. You need to know that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. So a father of faith is pregnant with purpose, but understand that you'll never mature in fatherhood until you're tested. Because a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Please understand that as a father, there will be some things that you experience in your life that will shake the very foundation of your faith. Listen, life ain't always going to be easy. But a blessed father is not one who never faces adversity. A blessed father is one who is so connected to God that he's prepared to respond to adversity whenever it comes. Because you will be tested. And so the question becomes, how do you respond when what you see doesn't look like what he said? Because when you get to verse 1, the chapter opens by saying that it came to pass that after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And because the text says after these things, it begs the question, after what things? Well, well, if you jump back up into chapter 21, what you'll see is that it was not one of Abraham's most memorable chapters. It was one of those chapters that we sometimes experience in life, which we wish that we could just somehow skip over. Because if you read the 21st chapter, this is what it says about Abraham. First of all, there's tension in his house between he and his wife over another woman named Hagar. And if that's not enough, in the same chapter, there's a broken down business arrangement that Abraham had with somebody named Abimelech. And then when you read the last verse of the chapter, it says that Abraham is not experiencing any progress because he's living as a foreigner in the land of the Philistines. And just when Abraham really didn't need a test, just when Abraham really needed some assurance from God, the Bible says that now God tempts Abraham. So, so let me get this right. In chapter 21, his family is messed up. His money is messed up and he's making no progress. And then chapter 22 opens by telling us that after these things, did God tempt Abraham? God tells Abraham to take his son, the one who he waited a hundred years for, the one who he loved so much and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, God promised him that he would be the father of many nations and he had a son, Ishmael, but God told him that his blessing wasn't going to come through Ishmael, but that his blessing was going to come through the son with Sarah. So Abraham gave him up and sent him away. So I'm sure Abraham was puzzled and asking God, God, why in the world would you now tell me to kill the only son that I have with Sarah? Now, now I've got a problem with this text. Because James 1 and 13 says, let no man say when he is tempted that, that I'm tempted by God because God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. But our text says that God did tempt Abraham. OK, so what's up with that? Well, the word tempt here, it really is translated to mean test. In other words, God tested Abraham's faith. 
Because up to this point, if you really study Abraham's life, you'll see that Abraham had trust issues. He had trust issues in chapter 12. He had trust issues in chapter 16. He had trust issues in chapter 20. And what God is saying is men, in order to graduate in the school of fatherhood, you have to resolve your trust issues. And ladies, please understand that some of the men in your life will never do right until they resolve their trust issues. And so my question for you today, fellas, is what are you having issues with today? What are your trust issues? And I know you don't want to admit it, but many of our fathers are still struggling with trust issues. Maybe you were abandoned by your father. Maybe you were abused in your home. Maybe you were touched the wrong way, so now you struggle with your sexuality. Maybe you were never shown love and affection. Maybe your mother was mad at your father, and so she took it out on you and kept telling you that you ain't going to be nothing just like your daddy wasn't nothing. Maybe you had both parents in the home, but you still were raised by the streets. So you're struggling with trust issues. And because Abraham had trust issues, it led him to make hasty decisions. But in order for God's blessing to rest on his life, Abraham needed to be tested because you can't graduate to the next level until you pass the test at the grade level that you're on. And men, God wants to graduate to the next level in life. But you can't matriculate to the next level until you pass the test on the level that you're on. And the problem for us is that when we were in school, we were given the lesson before we were given the test. But God does something a little different. Because in his school of maturity, God gives you the test first. And then from the test, as a result of the test, now you learn the lesson. And if God tested Abraham, God will certainly test you. In fact, when I read the scriptures, I see it seems to me that God has a habit of giving his tests to the best. In Genesis 15 and 6, the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited unto him as righteousness. So Abraham was given credit for righteousness, but it was now time for him to pay his bill by demonstrating his faith. Because faith without works, come on, y'all know it, is dead. So can you trust God when you get a pink slip on your job and, and you have to go home to tell your wife and children that the thing you're holding in your hand is your last paycheck? Can you trust God when, when a woman tempts you to engage in an indiscretion and she promises that what you do will stay between her and you? Can, can you trust God when you're struggling with an addiction that you know that if you don't break it, it will destroy your marriage and your family? Can you trust God when the doctors send your wife home to die and they tell you there's nothing more that we can do? Can you trust God when you can't trace God? Because here in our text, God is placing Abraham in Abraham's hands the destiny of generations. And please understand that as a father, your decisions will determine the destiny of future generations. And if God tempts you, that means that he trusts you enough to test you. So, so, so a father of faith is pregnant with purpose. He understands that he'll be tested. But a father of faith must be willing to go wherever God leads him. 
So God tells Abraham, listen, I want you to take your son and go and offer him up as a sacrifice on some mountain that I'll tell you about later. So, so wait, not only do you want me to kill the only son that I have left, but now you're not even going to tell me where you want me to do it. But as a father, sometimes God will ask you to do some things that don't make sense. But you still have to trust God and be willing to go wherever God leads you. Proverbs 3 and 5 tells us to trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall, not may, he shall direct thy path. And if you really examine Abraham's life, you'll see that God is always telling Abraham to go, but he rarely tells him where to go. In fact, in the 12th chapter, God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your family, your kindred, and your relative. I, I want you to leave them. So in other words, Abraham, I want you to lose your past. And so now he's saying, kill Isaac, which means now I want you to lose your future. He, he tells Abraham that after you leave your family, your kindred, and your country, then you will go to the land that I will show you. In other words, he doesn't even know where he's going. So he packs everything up in his U-Haul. He pulls all his money out of the First National Bank of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He leaves no forwarding address because he doesn't know where God is taking him. And here again, just like he did 30 years later or earlier, God tells him to take Isaac to a mountain that at some point I'll show you. And just like he did 30 years earlier, when God tells Abraham to do something crazy, Abraham obeys God, even though it doesn't make sense. And so our text tells us that the next day, Abraham got up early in the morning and he goes on a three day journey to find a place that God tells him about, but never describes. Understand that the enjoyment of your life's journey as a father will be based on your ability to follow God's instructions. God doesn't want you to worry about the destination. Sometimes you have to learn how to just enjoy the journey. See, Abraham wasn't stressed out about where God was taking him because he knew, and Genesis 20, 21 and 1 confirms, that God always keeps his word. You need to know that God is a God of his word. And that God will keep every promise that he made to you. In fact, in Jeremiah 29 and 11, God said, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In some translations, it says an expected end. In other words, God has promised to give you an expected future. And because you have a future, you also have a hope. So Abraham, he, he, in our text, he, he gets up early the following morning. He cuts up the wood for an altar. Then he places the wood on the back of a donkey. And then he grabs two of his servants to go with him on a three-day journey to this unknown place, a place where he's never been before. Please understand that sometimes God will take you to some places that you've never been before. 
He'll take you out of your comfort zone. He'll take you to a new job. He'll take you to a new city. He'll take you to a new challenge or some new mountain, a place where you've never been before. This is why faith is so important because faith requires you to trust in some things that you don't always see. Because real faith is not trusting what you see. But real faith is trusting God even when he doesn't look like and he doesn't give you all of the details. And God doesn't always give you all the details because God understands that when God discloses the details to you, he's also disclosing the details to Satan. And if Satan gets the details too soon, then he'll work on your mind through other people to discourage you from trusting God and doing what God told you to do. Understand that time got the best of Abraham. He got so anxious when God told him that he would be a father, but after 10 years, he's looking over at Sarah and nothing is happening. She's getting older and that Coca-Cola bottle figure is turning into a leader. You have to understand that Sarah was a gorgeous woman. So what do you do when the most beautiful things in your life is actually the least productive thing in your life? Please understand that you still have to go because sometimes God can't give us the details, but he'll reveal his plans over time so that by the time you get there, it's too late for Satan to derail your decisions. So, so a, a father of faith is pregnant with purpose. He understands that he'll be tested. He, he's willing to go wherever God leads him, but a father of faith must learn how to hear God's voice. David Willard in his book, Hearing from God, explains that our failure to hear God is rooted in a failure to understand and mature into a conversational relationship with God. Which means that in order to hear from God, you got to spend time with God. And after a three-day journey, Abraham looks up and he sees the place God promised. So he tells his men, stay here with the donkey while me and my boy, we go up on the mountain for a minute. Understand that everybody can go up the mountain with you. There's some people that you have to leave at the foot of the mountain. There's some friends that you need to leave behind. There's some places that you have to leave behind. There's some, there's some habits and things that you're doing that you have to leave behind. So Abraham places the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. And as they're walking up the hill together, Isaac notices something strange. He turns and looks at his father and he says, Pops, he says, um, now I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb? Now, now, now as a dad, what do you say in a situation like this? Because you can't say, son, um, the lamb, it, it's you. And sometimes you'll be in a situation in which you really don't know what to say because you really don't have the answers. You don't have all the solutions. So, so Abraham says to his son what sometimes you got to say, and that is God will provide. And the interesting thing is that Isaac has no follow-up questions. Try, try telling your children God will provide and, and see if there's not a whole lot of follow-up questions. But the interesting thing about this is, is, and about Isaac is the fact that when his dad says God will provide, 
He does not question his father. But understand that Abraham said God will provide not because Abraham saw a lamb, but because that is what faith is. Faith is believing that God has the solution even though all you see are problems. Because anybody can shout when you see it. But it takes faith to shout when you don't see it and you know that he said it. He told his two servants before they went up to the mountain that they were going up to worship, but that they will return. And when he said that, when he said that we will return, what he was really saying is not that he didn't think that God was not going to rescind the commandment to kill his son. But Hebrews 11 tells us that what Abraham was thinking was that if he has to kill his son, that somehow, some way, God was going to raise him back to life again. In other words, he was telling his men that even before we get there, I believe in a God that is a God of a resurrection. And you, and you need to know that, that whatever has died in your life, God has the power to bring to life once again. If your dreams have died, he'll bring them back to life again. If your ambitions have died, he'll bring them back to life again. If your marriage have died, he'll bring them back again because God is a God of a resurrection. And what's interesting is because Abraham has faith, his son starts having faith. And in our minds, we tend to think of Isaac as some little preschooler because the text says the boy. But in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, a boy can actually mean anybody up to about 17 or 18 years of age, which means that Isaac, um, no doubt, uh, was about 16 years old because you can't place wood on the back of an infant. So Isaac had to be a teenager. And how many of you believe that a 100-year-old man can tie down a 16-year-old rambunctious teenager unless the teenager submits to the will of his father? So as Abraham was trying to tie up his son, his son did not rebel, but submitted to his father, which means that the faith that his father had has also been transmitted to his son. And eventually, you got to understand that what you have will be transmitted to your children. You know, one day there was a father who stormed into uh, his son's school and he bawled out the teacher and the principal. And this is what he said. He said, my son has been using a whole lot of profanity lately. And I want to know where in the hell did he get it from? Listen, you need to understand that whatever is in you will eventually pass to your kids. Charles Kettering said, he said, I quote, every father should remember one day his son will follow his example, not his advice. As Isaac has faith, because his daddy has faith. And so Abraham now, he ties up Isaac, builds an altar, lays Isaac on the wood. And as Abraham picks up his knife to kill his son, the Bible says that an angel of the Lord calls down from heaven and says, peace be still. He, he says, Abraham, hold your peace. Don't, don't hurt the boy because now I know 
that you truly fear God. And I know you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me. And what was happening was that while Abraham was climbing up one side of the mountain, God had sent a lamb on the other side of the mountain. And that's why you have to trust God because you don't always see what's going on on the other side of the mountain. And when Abraham looks up and he looks behind him, he sees a lamb whose horns are caught in a bush. So Abraham took the lamb and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh, which means God will provide. Because when you incline your heart to hear from God, please know that God will provide wherever that he guides. So a father of faith is pregnant with purpose. He understands that he will be tested. He's willing to go wherever God leads him and has learned to hear God's voice. But finally, a father of faith is blessed beyond measure. You know, the strange thing about this text is that it was Abraham's willingness to kill Isaac that actually saved Isaac's life. It was Abraham's willingness to give up all that he had that gave him more than he could ever imagine. So what are you holding on to that God is telling you to release? There's some friends that you're holding on to. There's some recreational habits that you're holding on to. There's some ungodly addictions that you're holding on to. God asked Abraham to offer a sacrifice and it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't mean anything to you. So the Bible says that an angel spoke to Abraham and said, because you have obeyed God and did not withhold even your only son, that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your seed beyond measure and your seed shall possess the cities of their enemies. And through your seed, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed all because You've obeyed me. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but your, but your obedience is about to unleash, unlock a blessing. God is saying that if you'll just obey me, I'll bless you, I'll bless your children, and everything connected to you. You're about to inherit nations, and future generations are about to be blessed through you. Watch this. All because you obeyed God. And I know, I know that the most intriguing thing about this story is what we call a preview of upcoming attractions. And I don't know if you've been really picking up on the nuances of this story, but, but, but see if this Old Testament story is not pointing to something that's getting ready to happen in the New Testament. Okay, so... You take your only son, right? Your only son whom you love. And you offer him as a sacrifice. You don't get it. Then you take a three days journey. You get on a donkey. And then get on the, to the foot of the mountain. And when you get on the foot of the mountain, he takes the wood off of the donkey. And he puts it on his son's back. And his son climbs up a hill with wood on his back. You still don't get it. 
Now, the son didn't have to do it, but he submitted himself to the will of his father. And because Abraham believed that if his son died, that God is able to resurrect him from the dead. I think some of y'all are getting it. See, the major difference in this story is that Abraham came down with his son intact. But God didn't come down with Jesus intact. Because the text says, and the Bible says, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In other words, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. Listen, to be a father of faith, you need to know that you can trust God. Despite what's going on in your life, you can trust God. If you, if you don't get the job, you, you can still trust God. Right? If you get the job, you can still trust God. If you can't pay your light bill, you can, you can still trust God. If you lose your house because he didn't let you stay in it, you can, you can still trust God. Regardless of whatever you're going through, you can still trust God. David said, I was young, but now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. God is calling us to demonstrate the indescribable faith of a father. God will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are called according to to his purpose. So trust God despite what it looks like. Trust God with obstacles in your way. Trust God when you don't have all of the answers. For he who has begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Understand a father's faith. Romans 4 says, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And when a man's works, his wages are not called to him to be a gift, but an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trust the God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And I want to max out my credit limit. Listen. Abraham was a father, but he was a nobody. He wasn't famous. He didn't come from royalty. But simply because he believed God in the face of some impossible circumstances, his faith caused him to inherit nations. God wants to bless you. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter how much education that you have. Because your faith is going to take you places that your intellect and social status can never take you. This morning, God is looking for fathers of faith to be examples to future generations. So this morning, I want to pray for fathers. I want to pray for fathers who are maybe struggling for, uh, to understand their obligations and understand their assignment. I want to pray for fathers who are trying, but it seems like you just can't get a break. I want to pray for fathers who maybe never really looked at things from the proper perspective and they were more selfish instead of understanding that their children really needed them in their life. I want to pray for fathers who have become disconnected from their children. 
and that now they're trying to reconnect to be back into their lives. I want to pray for fathers that they will learn how to rely upon the power of God. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for fathers. It's easy for us to celebrate mothers, but sometimes we struggle with celebrating fathers. But we pray, Father God, for fathers on this morning. We pray, Father God, for their homes. We pray, Father God, that everything their hand touches will be blessed. We pray, Father God, for direction and for guidance, for strength. Even in circumstances and situations where they may not have answers and they may not have solutions. We pray, Father God, that you will speak to their hearts and speak to their minds. Guide them, lead them, direct them. Understand that you had ordained fathers to be the priests and the prophets of their home. And so even as a father myself, I submit to you. I submit my faith. I submit my will. I submit my life so that I could be who you have called for me to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, you need to understand that the first step to becoming a father of faith is that you have to have a relationship with God. And maybe you don't know God. Maybe you've never accepted him as your Lord and your Savior. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. If you want to accept the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, I would ask you to pray this prayer with me. Bow your head and say, Dear Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive me for all the wrong that I've been and all the wrong that I've done. I want to be saved. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you arose from the dead. And I thank you, Lord, for coming into my life. And now I believe that I am saved. And if you prayed that simple prayer with me, I want you to know right now that you are saved. All of your sins are forgiven. And you have new life in Jesus Christ. Listen. I don't know what you're facing right now in your life. I don't know what the odds are against you. But I want to speak life into your life. To know that God is going to bless you and he's going to strengthen you. And I want to encourage you to let you know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the worst is over and the best is yet to come. Listen, I love you with the love of the Lord. And I want to encourage you fathers on today, stand strong in the Lord and be blessed. God bless you.